Hey, Hope family, wasn't it glorious to have a few days last week where we could actually go outside? I know at our house, our girls were able to play out back for hours. There was actually still snow on the ground, despite it being 50 degrees, but we just treated the snow like a giant sandbox, and they loved it. Our neighbors took their dog on her first walk in over a month and then sat out on their porch for a while. Snow is beautiful, but God knows what he's doing by giving us seasons because we need to get outside, or at least I do. But anyway, to today's devotional, we are going to look at another difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. But first, just a reminder and an encouragement to join us this month in reading the book of Acts. We had a great discussion on Zoom discussing the book of John, and we are planning to have a Zoom conversation on the book of Acts, and that will take place on Tuesday, March 30th. So uh, as we read the book of Acts this month, uh, jot down any questions, any notes, anything that stands out to you. Uh, it's, we're not planning a deep, in-depth Bible study, but just to kind of come together to share our thoughts and to share what God has stirred in us uh, as we go through the book of Acts. Today, however, again, we will uh, be looking at a difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God, and we'll be looking at a few different passages from uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy, also uh, Jesus's words in Matthew 11. As we head into this conversation, most of you are aware that I don't have a, an intimate familiarity with your day-to-day -day conversations, but I bet I can guess a conversation that you have had recently. You ready? Prepare to be amazed. It went something like this. How are you? Oh, I'm busy. I'm tired. How are you? Yeah, same. Right? Yeah, I mean, you've had basically that conversation probably dozens of times over the last couple of months. We're all busy and we're all tired. It doesn't matter if you're a part-time college student living at home and not currently working, a stay-at-home mother of four, or working three jobs to try to make ends meet. We're all busy and we're all tired. We just had several months of quarantine where many of us had to stay home. We still, our lives are affected and are objectively less busy, but I bet you still feel pretty much the same. You feel busy. You feel tired. You feel pressured to produce. Part of this is because to some extent, we are actually busy and therefore we are actually tired. But even for those of us where it really isn't true, we still feel the need to be busy and tired. As Americans, we value productivity. And on its surface, there's nothing wrong with this. The Bible has much to say about productivity. Solomon writes in Proverbs, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Later in Proverbs, he says that idle hands are the devil's workshop. And then over in the New Testament, Paul gave the church in Thessalonica a rule. He who does not work does not eat. Work and productivity make for good practices. They, like everything else, however, make really bad idols. And the kingdoms of this world, and I would say that America certainly fits the bill, idolize productivity. It seems that we have an unwritten rule in this country that you are what you produce. One of the first things we ask of one another when we meet is, what do you do? In some way, we believe that you are defined by what you do. 
In some way, it is at the core of who you are, what you do, what you can produce. If we are in a career that we don't like or we haven't started in our desired career quite yet, we place caveats when we answer that question. Well, it just it pays the bills for now. Or, I'm working toward becoming a nurse. We place those caveats because we know that the hearer to our answer will place some value on us based on what we say it is that we do, on what we can produce. When you get to a certain age, even your days off stop really being about days off. They start being about work. They're for yard work, housework, the work you didn't get to finish while at work throughout the week, grocery shopping, taking your kids to their respective activities, and so on. We are busy. We are tired. But it doesn't have to be this way. In fact, it's not supposed to be this way. This is not the way the kingdom of God was designed to be set up, even if it is the way the kingdom of America is set up. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all the busy and the tired, and I will give you rest. That was the Dave Hallahan translation, but I think it fits. There is a rest that is available to us. Eventually, we will enter the rest of Christ permanently. But we are invited to make it a regular part of our lives now. One of the Ten Commandments was to rest, a command to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. Often the conversation around Sabbath keeping is, do we have to? Are we still commanded to obey the Sabbath? Some Christians will say, yes, we definitely have to. It's in the Big Ten. We have to do it. Others will say, no, of course we don't have to. The author of Hebrews says that in making a new covenant, Jesus made the old covenant, and that's where we find the command to keep the Sabbath, obsolete. But let's ask a different question. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Imagine your boss calling you into his office tomorrow morning and saying, we're giving you a paid month's vacation. We're flying you out to Turks and Caicos and we're footing the bill. Would your response to that be, well, do I have to? My question would be, why wouldn't you? Jesus offers us rest and it would be wise to accept anything that Jesus offers us. But let's take a bit of a closer look at the command to keep the Sabbath. We find it twice, first in Exodus 20 and then in Deuteronomy 5. In Exodus, Moses says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Then in Deuteronomy, Moses says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughters or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. 
You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Did you catch the differences? Some are subtle, others are a little bit more obvious. First, in Exodus, God tells his people to remember the Sabbath. They are far removed from being a people who had agency. They only did what they were told. So now God is telling them to remember the Sabbath. Remember that God built into the framework of creation a regular rhythm of rest. Rest was good enough for God and it will be good enough for you. The reasoning for the Sabbath is that rest is part of the created order. And Moses also says that it is set apart for the Lord. There's an idea of worshiping God in this rest. To remember that after God created the world, he rested as king over all he had made. And as his people, we rest and worship our king. Then in Deuteronomy, Moses switches it up a little bit. He says to observe the Sabbath. We observe holidays. We don't just remember that it's Christmas. We spend four weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas preparing ourselves to observe Christmas. The Israelites are to observe Sabbath. They are to prepare themselves for it. There's to be anticipation for it. They can't wake up on Saturday and just remember it's the Sabbath. They have to prepare for it and they should want to as well. But the bigger difference in Deuteronomy is the reason given. Moses doesn't appeal to the created order of Genesis 1. He says they are to observe Sabbath because they once were slaves, but now they are free. A slave is only as good as his production. You produce to stay alive. If you can't produce, you have no worth. But as former slaves who now have received their freedom, they dare not fall back into the patterns of slavery. Sabbath rest is put in place so that we don't return to our slavery. As Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. We easily fall into the trap of being slaves to consumerism, capitalism, materialism. Sabbath says, no, I am enough. I have enough. God has provided enough. But notice also the emphasis that Moses puts on giving your male and your female servants time off as well. Sabbath also stops us from becoming the slave driver. You don't get to tell people, hey, I have to observe, observe Sabbath, but would you mind cleaning the bathroom for me? Sabbath stops us from being both slave and slave master. Sabbath is a time where we stop from producing, where we stop from buying, and we rest that we are enough, that we have enough. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer has a chapter on Sabbath, and I'd like to close by reading a portion of it. He actually is quoting Ronald Rollheiser. And Ronald Rollheiser says this, So much of our unhappiness comes from comparing our lives, our friendships, our loves, our commitments, our duties, our bodies, and our sexuality to some idealized and non-Christian vision of things which falsely assures us that there is a heaven on earth. When that happens, and it does, our tensions begin to drive us mad, in this case, to a cancerous restlessness.
He continues and says, True restfulness, though, is a form of awareness, a way of being in life. It is living ordinary life with a sense of ease, gratitude, appreciation, peace, and prayer. We are restful when ordinary life is enough. And then John Mark Comer poses these questions to us. So what will it be? A cancerous restlessness that's as old as Pharaoh, always comparing your life to the next person's? itching for the next purchase to ratchet your way to the top, or a healing contentment from an unhurried, unharried life. What if ordinary life is enough?